Well, and, and in Shakespeare, there's always, which it was not true of all of his contemporaries, there's always a perspective on what happens to women in warfare, which is just an interesting thing to note. And I think is a, is a good transition to our next scene, <laughs> um, which is uh, one of the only scenes in the canon that is not in English. Um, this entire, well, not entire scene, but very large parts of this are in French. Um, and not speaking French, I am sort of trusting those of you who do to, uh, to help us through this. Um, so I hope you uh, enjoy this new scene of Catherine and Alice. Alice, tu as été en Angleterre, et tu bien parles la langue. Un peu, madame. Je te prie, monseigneur. Il faut que j'apprenne à, par à parler. Comment appelez-vous les mains en anglais? La main, elle est appelée de hand. De hand. Et les doigts? Les doigts? Ah, ma foi, j'oublie les doigts. Ah, mais je me souviendrai. Les doigts, je pense qu'ils sont appelés des fingres. Oh, oui, des fingres. La main, de hand. Les doigts, les fingres. Je pense que je suis la bonne écolière. J'ai gagné deux mots d'anglais vitement. Comment appelez-vous les ongles? Les ongles, nous les, nous les appelons de nails. De nails. Écoutez, dites-moi si je parle bien. De hand, de fingre et de nails. C'est bien dit, madame. Il est fort bon anglais. Dites-moi l'anglais pour le bras. De arme, madame. Elle écoute? Delbo. Delbo. Je m'en fais la répétition de tous les mots que vous m'avez appris dès à présent. Il est trop difficile, madame, comme je pense. Excusez-moi, Alice. Écoutez. De hand, de fingre. The nails, the arm of the Bilbo. Delbo, madame. Oh, Seigneur Dieu, je m'en oublie. Delbo, comment appelez-vous le col? De Nick, madame. De Nick. Et le menton? De Jean. De Jean. Le col de Nick. Le menton de Jean. Oui. Sur votre honneur, en vérité, vous prononcez les mots aussi droit que les natifs d'Angleterre. Je ne doute point d'apprendre, par la grâce de Dieu, et en peu de temps. N'avez-vous déjà oublié ce que je vous ai enseigné? Non, et je reciterai à vous promptement. De hand, de finger, de nails. De nails, madame. De nails, de arm, de ilbo. Sur votre honneur, Delbo. Ainsi dis-je, Delbo, de Nick et de Sim. Comment appelez-vous le pied et la robe? Le foot, madame, et le kunt. Le foot et le camp. Oh, Seigneur Dieu, ils sont les mots de son mauvais, corruptible, grand et impudique. Et non pour les dames de Nord-Duzé, 
Je ne voudrais prononcer ce mot devant le Seigneur de France pour tout le monde. Le faux et le camp. Néanmoins, je reciterai une autre fois ma leçon ensemble. The hand, the finger, the nails, the arm, the elbow, the neck, the chin, the foot, le compte. Excellent, madame. C'est assez pour une fois. Allons-nous à dîner. Lovely. It sounded wonderful to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, I can speak with absolutely negative zero authority, but very interesting little scene. And we're now then going to go into a scene that is all French characters, none of whom are going to be speaking in French the whole time. So, so why do you think we have this scene? Um, in French. Any thoughts? Any? I think it's, it's uh, I mean, even though it, it kind of breaks a little bit with the fact that the other French characters don't speak in French, it kind of helps portray uh, the conflict. Like, mm. um, there's a misunderstanding beginning with communication. Mm. And this is just, it happens everywhere. Uh, uh, even between English speakers, as we saw before, even just with the way you say things. And yeah, these are, these are characters that are kind of apart from everything we've seen before. And in terms of big war scenes, they are not, they are not in that scene at all in, in the war place. But, but I really like the point you highlighted before, Ariana, about um, this, as another continuation of of the consequences or of the variations of the war and what happens to other people uh, as a result um yeah and i think it was perhaps uh simple enough to use the scene to to actually be able to uh include french mm -hmm. for the audiences to understand and so it's like, what the hell? Let's just let's just um, <laughs> throw this in, you know. And uh, uh, I think I think it I think it's good. It it adds something to the play that otherwise it's too easy to understand and to choose sides. But this adds a little bit of oh, wait a wait a minute. And this is like a completely different culture, and people are gonna be put together with that have that don't know anything about each other. Mm, mm, absolutely. And, and the first um, the first we've heard of, of Catherine is um, in the chorus speech when it, the king offered Catherine his daughter, which she's going to do at the end of the play as well. And the offer didn't like. But somehow, because the English have now succeeded at Harfleur, as we're going to see, the French are very upset about this. But also it kind of means that it's very likely that Catherine will end up being at this point, will be end up being the, the wife of, of Henry. Uh, Colin, did you have uh, thoughts about Alice and her and her sort of um, role here? Well, Alice in particular, I, I uh, unfortunately can't see her as too much of a dimensional character. Uh, but as <laughs> speaking to the scene in general, um, well, I guess one, functionally, it 
it would be hard to do this particular scene as written all in English if there's the like how speaking in two different languages thing but yeah I can't imagine like what else what 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 scene could you write in its place um but uh speaking to what you had said before mm -hmm. about like oh this um Catherine's like preparation for the English to take over um I guess that's not something I had thought of before and at least in, in my preparation for this, I watched a couple of different um, versions of the scene and they, they are all played remarkably differently. And you can do a lot with the scene. Is it just straight comedy? Um, mm -hmm. uh, you pointed to a, a more uh, darker sexual undertone. Um, I've, some of the scenes I saw were um, played as like sexual comedy, um, mm. which is an interesting contrast to that. Um, like I, my first um, read of this, I was just like, oh, look, people, quirky miscommunication, levity. <laughs> um, but like, it's compared to what we just got off of. Yeah. It, it feels less like, oh, this is comedic relief and more like Shakespeare sat on the TV remote and this is just the wrong <laughs> channel. Um, but to a degree... Um, again pointing back to what you had mentioned i i guess i can see this as like okay let's look at all this scary rape and pillage and then suddenly women having a good time um <laughs> there's really really scary contrast there it's own misogynistic contrast of its own but like we're gonna show you the threat of violence and then the uh you know the the, the heart of the country that's that could get destroyed look at what um, the stakes that are here. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, credit where credit is due, we do get a scene with two named female characters speaking about something that isn't a man. So, depending on how you read it, is it a good pass? Maybe not, but also, it passes nonetheless. It was written for two men to speak, so it doesn't really pass. <laughs> It's one of those fun technical passes, but, um, yeah, but I've also seen the scene played where it's just like, ha ha, Elise is terrible at English and she has no idea what she's doing. Oh, and yeah. she's like mispronouncing everything and just giving Catherine a horrible instruction. Yeah. But then also, yeah, I've seen it done where it's more um, like, oh, let's talk about the fingers. Why would you want to know about the fingers? But yeah, I guess I, I don't know how to wrap my head around now that you've planted that seed of she's preparing <laughs> to be brutalized. No, I mean, and I, I should I should put a caveat that I don't think necessarily that this is like Catherine's interpretation of this scene <laughs> or Alice's. Just okay. that there yeah, is like, there is what and when. <laughs> yeah, like just that there is after coming directly after the scene where it talks mm -hmm. about all of the maiden daughters being defiled and what happens to their bodies and and all of this that you can't to me as a as a viewer I can't help but kind of feel the presence of that violence now because we're talking it's just we switch to a scene where a woman is is sort of talking about body parts and you know it could be done as delicately as as you like I think there's still kind of this a little bit of a ghost of that previous scene here um, well and after you set it up like that Ariana like all I kept hearing was nails nails yeah. nails and that's 
terrifying. Sorry, everyone. No, no. I <laughs> honestly, I feel like you unlocked that scene for me because it makes it makes so much sense dramaturgically speaking. I guess because because yeah, it is sort of silly and and tropey and stuff, and and it follows fast upon all this very serious stuff, but. To me, it, it is interwoven better in a, a sort of thematic, well, we've been talking about rushing onward, you know, that the, the thematic um, elements of this scene are rushing onward even throughout that scene, even if it's mm. a bit uh, more subtle act mm. scene. That's what I meant. Yeah. I also um, think like oh, it yeah. being, sorry. Oh no, go I also ahead think it. it it being bookended by the scene that then follows, you know, coming from yeah. a scene in which we see, you know, them sort of talking about the atrocities that they may do. And then we see the scene in which we like, we, we know what's happening. Like, even I, I think, even if you don't speak French, you, you can kind of figure it out, you know, a lot yeah. of the, it, it, you know, it's, it's all, it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, and we sort of, it is like, like we've all been saying, it's super on, ominous to sort of see them just kind of living there, but also like the, the not being able to sort of understand what they're saying. And then hearing afterwards, their people not speaking their language, making decisions that are going to affect their lives, I think is really upsetting. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we, we see these, like the, the English speakers are clearly being put on the same, like, level you know like they, mm. they are they are the people at war are speaking the same language and like that to me is what I think is so powerful about the scene is like is that they aren't they aren't even they literally aren't even in the same world they're not even speaking yeah. things and yet their lives are going to be so affected by this and and I mean at the beginning we hear the chorus say like the only people back in England are like the old women, you know, and the baby, <laughs> you know? So it's it's sort of like getting to see the scene of like, it almost feels like there should be also a scene of like an old woman, like carrying a baby in England, like, well, <laughs> hope somebody comes back soon. Like just to sort of like <laughs> nail the point in completely. Oh, I love yes. that. <laughs> um, Andrew, did you, uh, you had your hand up earlier. Yeah, um, I think the, the points have probably been made already. But, so maybe I'll just say that it is quite wonderful how he can do all of these things at once, that uh, <laughs> yeah. just as he does with the um, Once More Into the Breach and then a scene about um, um, idiots who don't <laughs> want to fight and, and uh, a scene about people who are going to die uh, horribly in a mine, juxtaposed, that is also a scene about... Um, amusing cultural stereotypes and also a scene about the people of the isles of britain working together and all these things packed into one and then uh you know a speech a horrific speech about the um effects of war on the people who aren't fighting uh followed up by a scene about some people who wouldn't be involved in the fighting but would definitely feel the effects which is also uh a very amusing can be a very amusing scene and a hilarious scene and very naughty uh, body kind of scene um and he can pack all that in uh yeah. in such a um just so efficiently and also to, to to provide you that breath of air you know you go from the yeah. the epicness of the speeches and then you go to something that's has so much breath to you know they're probably sitting around knitting or something and talking uh, by a fire 
Um, <laughs> that's very uh, uh, misogynistic of me, isn't it? No, um, no. I, I'm just assuming they're knitting because they're women. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just I was just laughing because literally Isabel is knitting right now, <laughs> which I'm just really enjoying watching. <laughs> Um, especially because she's making me a blanket, which I'm really excited to receive. <laughs> they probably would have been doing uh, embroidery. That's right. <laughs> Maybe the character of Alice kind of, I mean, uh, Catherine and Alice um, also are uh, uh, a way maybe for the English audience to feel a hint of sympathy towards French a part of the a part of the French side of the play mm. um, maybe some some people like oh this the, the the only women in this play are from the enemy side <laughs> and 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 I don't know that that kind of is a focus um, but I when I when I think of Catherine in this scene um, it's very strong to me to think uh, oh, maybe I should think about learning the language of the world that I'm going to perhaps live mm. in for the mm. rest of my life. <laughs> oh, nobody, like, I, she has no idea, like, it's just starting to, 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 to appear in her mind that she might be under these people who are attacking. And uh, uh, even though it's kind of a funny scene, to me, she's she might be kind of hiding her panic and, and mm. kind of saying lightheartedly, um, "Oh, and how do you say the arm? And how do you say yeah. this and that?" And yeah. um, but she's actually thinking, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, I don't I don't know. Like, I I have to I have to start, you know, trying to understand where I'm going to be and and how who's who's going to tell me what to do." Yeah. Uh, and later on. She will speak about can I love the enemy and uh, can I can I obey you even though you're the person who's taking over where I live and uh, and how she's being gifted off by her own country. It's yeah, just a repetition of themes that comes up over and over again. But but at least it's mentioned again. Yeah, it is Absolutely. this like this terrifying idea too of like. For the men, like they don't have to think about that, you know. Either they win or they die, which is pretty harsh. But like, you know, for the women, they're like, for the, I'm gonna regret saying that. But um, their fate's worse than death. It is just interesting to me that, like, for some people, there is a thought of like, I'm gonna like, regardless of who wins this, like, like. I want to think about like a, a world in which I do continue to live. And in that world, I'm going to have to assimilate. Um, mm. And like the idea of that, like forward thought that, that like requirement to think forward, to think ahead, to, to have to like assimilate and have to change in order to continue living is like a, a weird and horrifying thing to think about, you know? Mm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I want to now let's uh, just transition to this, this other perspective, a very male perspective um, on the, on the French side. And just also to say that um, 
Catherine was also one of Elizabeth's ancestors. Uh, Catherine was very much the founder of the Tudors. Um, it's, it's how Henry VII traced his lineage. And so this is a like the great, great, great grandmother of, of Elizabeth that we're seeing and we're meeting. So I think that's significant in a way in which she is presented in this sort of delightful way. And in fact, at the end of Henry IV part two, one of the last lines is, oh, and in the next play, we'll make you marry with fair Catherine of France. You know, so she it's like she's promised in the previous play, like we're going to meet Catherine. All right. Go, Catherine. You know, so it's 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 kind of a fun um, uh, transition. Um, I will figure out which great grandmother she was because I can't I can't quite recall it but yeah anyway let's go to the to our uh to our french side and um just because unfortunately zoe burke her internet just completely stopped working so she's unfortunately not going to be able to join us for the rest of this isabel i was wondering if you wouldn't mind reading Brittany or britain in this you just get to say norman's bastard norman's norman bastards uh a lot which is really fun um as always. So yeah, whenever you're ready, let's go right into uh, three, five. Tis certain he hath passed the river some. And if he be not fought with all, my lord, let us not live in France. Let us quit all and give our vineyards to a barbarous people. Oh, Dieu vivant, shall a few sprays of us, the emptying of our father's luxury, our scions, put in wild and savage stock, spurt up so suddenly into the clouds and overlook their grafters? Normans, but bastard Normans, Normans bastards. Mortemuvit, if they march along unfought withal, but I will set, sell my dukedom to buy a slobbery and a dirty farm in that nook-shotten isle of El, Elbion. Albion. It's a very Albion. poetic old name for England. You de Bataille, where have they this metal? Is not their climate foggy, raw, and dull? On whom, as in despite, the sun looks pale, killing their fruit with frown? Can sodden water, a drench for surrend jade, their barley broth, decoct their cold blood to such valiant heat? And shall our quick blood spirited with wine, steam frosty? Oh, for honor of our land, let us not hang like roping icicles upon our houses' thatch, while more frosty people sweat drops of gallant youth in our rich fields, poor we may call them in their native lords. By faith and honor, our madams mock at us and plainly say our metal is bred out, and they will give their bodies to the lust of English youth to new store France with bastard warriors. They bid us to the English dancing schools and teach La, La Volta's high and swift Carantos, saying our grace is only in our heels and that we are most lofty runaways. Where is Montjoy the Herald? Speed him hence. Let him greet England with our sharp defiance. Up, princes, and with spirit, of honor edged more sharper than your swords, high to the field. Charles de Alarbay, high constable of France, you dukes of Orleans, Bourbon and of Berry, Alencon, Brabant, Bar and Burgundy, Jacques Jatillon, Rumbert, Vaudemont, Beaumont, Grand Pre, Roussy, 
and Fauquembert, Foix, Lestrie, Bouquet, and Charlevoix, High Dukes, Great Princes, Barons, Lords, and Kings, for your great seats now quit of great shames. Bar hairy England that sweeps through our land with pennons painted in the blood of Harfleur. Rush on his host as doth the melted snow upon the valleys whose low vassal seat the Alps doth spit and void his room upon. Go down upon him and have power enough and in a captive chariot into Rouen bring him our prisoner. This becomes the great. Sorry am I his numbers are so few, his soldiers sick and famished in their march. For I am sure when he shall see our army, he'll drop his heart into the sink of fear and for achievement, offer us his ransom. Therefore, Lord Constable, haste on Mount Joy and let him say to England what we, that we send to know what willing ransom he will give. Prince Dauphin, you shall stay here with us in Rouen. Not so, I do beseech your majesty. Be patient, for you shall remain with us. Now forth, Lord Constable, and princes, all, and quickly bring us word of England's fall. They'd be really mad. <laughs> um, thoughts? <laughs> uh, so piggybacking off of the last scene. Um, <laughs> uh, goodness. So the I feel like French sympathy is a finite resource in this play. <laughs> and as much as I want to give these readings of the French characters that are more nuanced and more gray, and it's like, uh, I just... It seems to me that whenever French is used, it's just punching down. Mm. Um, like, oh goodness, French king, like let's just list all the French words again and again and again, just ad nauseum. It, like I can't read it as anything other than like, haha, the other, this is funny. And like, like before we just had an entire scene in French and I think this is the, we're introducing more French into our previously just English speaking French people. And it, it, it just, it comes across as just haha the French more than I can see it as a, a, a nuanced take, but I don't know if that's uh, speaking too much for like authorial intent there, but the way <laughs> that I read it, 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 I find it harder and harder as we go on to see this as reflecting the French in a nuanced light. I think that's a fair point. Um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we have, they're basically just like, oh, sacre bleu, we're such cowards. <laughs> like, just, uh, brought, brought the French on to insult themselves. <laughs> and, and this may be subjective since I'm reading the king, but the king kind of seems like the only one that's got his head on, the shoulder, on his shoulders. You know, everyone is like, ugh, whatever. And he's like, no, this is serious. <laughs> yeah. Um, which uh, to me, there's a kind of foil perhaps to Henry a little bit with the king. I mean, with, with this speech rousing everyone, you know, it's a rousing speech like we just mm -hmm. saw with Henry. Um, and I do, he, I feel like he gets, he gets some pretty good, pretty intelligent language. I mean, this whole thing of 
the Alps doth spit and void yeah. his room upon. Like that's some good shit, you know. That's some <laughs> um, whereas I feel like um, what you were saying, Colin, is like everyone else is kind of like, nah. <laughs> you know? in in not so many words. There, there is also. I mean, I I love the like our quick blood spirited with wine. Like I just right? love that. Like More there's so jokes. much focus on the importance of how freaking good our wine is. Like, wine jokes. <laughs> um, but there is an interesting. I mean, just to tie this in with some of the previous scenes, I'm really struck by the 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 Dauphin's line about the madams mocking at us and plainly saying our metal is bred out and they will give their bodies to the lust of English youth. Agreed. Like what? That is like, just so insidious. Like yeah. or I, maybe it's all the French women truly just want those, those English men, but I'm <laughs> no, that's not how I want to read the it's, it's insidious to me that they're going to see the active rape and pillaging of their people and their problem is like, oh no, she cheated on me. Like, that's yeah. how you're going to view this war crime as the effects it has on you. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, goodness. I mean, coming straight off that last discussion, I, I like, it, it is 50-50, like you said, gone like this thing of like, the English being like, haha, like we've cucked the French. Like that's not, you know. And then also we've just seen this scene. And I feel like in a in a modern production, we would hopefully have this scene be the, the scene with the women be be played genuinely and not just sort of like for laughs. Um, I, I would hope. And then to sort of it is like you said, setting up Catherine as this like real ally this real person this this sort of like idealized french ally slash idealized french woman um so it's it's what trophy yeah a trophy <laughs> but you know like knowing the sort of like lineage shenanigans uh uh having her and her like desire to become english and then this scene where they're like blaming her for it, like puts them in an even shittier light. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it, it, you know, reading any kind of text so many years later, it, like I said uh, last time with like the actus, the active, uh, the, the practice of trying to queer a character and seeing whether or not the text works against you, you can do the same thing with like, can I make this proto-feminist? Can I do this kind of reading? or is the text gonna not allow that to happen? Like what mm -hmm. you're saying, like playing it straight, playing these as actual human beings and not just ha ha ha, where, um, and I'm just repeating myself, but I feel like it gets harder and harder as it goes on with this particular play. Mm -hmm. It tests you. Well, I think, and I think I, I'm really excited for us to get to three seven, which is the 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 French waiting in the tent to um, because I think in that scene at least we get a sense of the more complicated relationships that exist within the French army. That the constable is sort of one faction and the Dauphin is another faction, and Orléans is sort of sided with the Dauphin and there. There's just, it becomes, to me, the character relationships, when the character relationships are non-existent, which I kind of feel like in this scene, you've got to really do a lot of work to make them happen. 
but when more complex character relationships start happening, that's when the humanity of the characters to me always comes out. So that maybe, and maybe that's our answer, you know, to the four captains scene, that maybe it's not so much about what they say, but it's about the relationships between them. And that sort of gives them their their humanity, as it were. Also, on a technical yeah. note, I feel like I need like three hours with a coach for all those French names. Oh, man. That is a really, that's, it's tough. Fa- I mean. I'm, I'm sitting here like trying, Faquamberge, is that right? <laughs> man, oh, man. Okay. Sorry, France. Don't listen to this, please. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wonderful. Shall we go to the to the bridge or the bridge um, and see uh, Gower and Fluellen? So the, it's a little bit unclear here, but it seems that there has been another sort of mini skirmish, and that um, the Duke of Exeter, who is the uncle of the king, has sort of taken over this bridge, which is really important. Bridges were very important. Frequently, if in the invading country, they would be blown up by the country that whose it was like so that the enemy couldn't use it to cross the bridge. So bridge is very important uh, focal points. And, um, oh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, Zoe here to read Gower. Would would somebody like to read uh, Captain Gower? Excuse me. Um, okay, I will read it for now. Here we go. How now, Captain Fluellen, come you from the bridge? I assure you there's very excellent services committed at the bridge. Is the Duke of Exeter safe? The Duke of Exeter is as magnanimous as Agamemnon and a man that I love and honor with my soul and my heart and my duty and my life and my living and my utmost power. He is not, God be praised and blessed, any hurt in the world, but keeps the bridge most valiantly with excellent discipline. There is an ancient lieutenant there at the bridge. I think in my very conscience, he is as valiant a man as Mark Antony, and he is a man of no estimation in the world, but I did see him do as gallant service. What do you call him? He is called Ancient Pistol. I know him not. Here is the man. Captain, I thee beseech to do me favors. The Duke of Exeter doth love thee well. Aye, I praise God, and I have merited some love at his hands. Bardolph, a soldier firm and sound of heart and of buxom valor, hath, by cruel fate and giddy fortune's furious fickle wheel, that goddess blind that stands upon the rolling restless stone. By your patience, ancient pistol, fortune is painted blind with a muffler afore his eyes to signify to you that fortune is blind. And she is painted also with a wheel to signify to you, which is the moral of it, that she is turning and inconstant and mutability and variation. And her foot, look you, is fixed upon a spherical stone, which rolls and rolls and rolls. In good truth, the poet makes a most excellent description of it. Fortune is an excellent moral. Fortune is Bardolph's foe and frowns on him, for he hath stolen a pact and hanged must be, a damned death. Let gallows gape for dog. Let man go free and let not hemp his windpipe suffocate. But Exeter hath given the doom of death for packs of little price. Therefore go speak, the Duke will hear thy voice and let not Bardolph's vital thread be cut with edge of penny cord and vile reproach. Speak, Captain, for his life and I will thee requite. Ancient Pistol, I do 
partly understand your meaning. Why then rejoice, therefore? Certainly, Anchen, it is not a thing to rejoice at, for if, look you, he were my brother, I would desire the Duke to use his good pleasure and put him to execution, for discipline ought to be used. Die and be damned, and Fico for thy friendship. It is well. The fig of Spain. Very good. Why, this is an errant counterfeit rascal. I remember him now. A bod, a cut purse. I'll assure you, I uttered a brave word at the bridge, as you shall see in a summer's day. But it is very well. What he has spoke to me, that is well, I warrant you, when time is served. Why, tis a gull, a fool, and a rogue that now and then goes to the wars to grace himself at his return into London under the form of a soldier. And such fellows are perfect in the great commander's names, and they will learn you by rote where services were done, at such and such a sconce, at such a breach, at such a convoy, who came off bravely, who was shot, who disgraced, what terms the enemy stood on. And this they con perfectly in the phrase of war, which they trick up with new tuned oaths. And what a beard of the general's cud and a horrid suit of the camp will do among foaming bottles and ale-washed wits is wonderful to be thought on. But you must learn to know such slanders of the age or else you may be marvelously mistook. I tell you what, Captain Gower, I do perceive he is not the man that he would gladly make show to the world he is. If I find a hole in his coat, I will tell him my mind. Hark you, the king is coming and I must speak with him from the bridge. God bless your majesty. How now, Flewellen? Camest thou from the bridge? I so please your majesty. The Duke of Exeter has very gallantly maintained the bridge. The French has gone off, look you, and there is gallant and most brave passages. Mary, the adversary has... we. <laughs> what? Mary, the adversary has have possession of the bridge, but he is enforced to retire, and the Duke of Exeter is master of the bridge. I can tell your majesty the Duke is a brave man. What men have you lost, Fluan? The perdition of the adversary has hath been very great, reasonable great. Mary, for my part, I think the Duke hath lost never a man, but one that is like to be executed for robbing a church, one Bardolph, if your majesty know the man. His face is all bubbles and whelks and knobs and flames of fire, and his lip blows at his nose, and it is like a coal of fire, sometimes blue, sometimes red, but his nose is executed and his fire's out. We would have all such offenders so cut off. And we give a express charge that in our marches through the country, there be nothing compelled from the villages, nothing taken but paid for, none of the French upbraided or abused in disdainful language. For when levity and cruelty play for a kingdom, the gentler gamester is the soonest winner. You know me by my habit. Well, then I know thee. What shall I know of thee? My master's mind. Unfold it. Thus says my king, say thou to Harry of England, though we seem dead, we did but sleep. Advantage is a better soldier than rashness. Tell him we could have rebuked him at Hofleur, but that we thought not good to bruise an injury till it were full ripe. Now we speak upon our cue and our voices imperial. England shall repent his folly see his weakness, and admire our sufferance. Bid him, therefore, consider of his ransom, which must proportion the losses we have borne, the subjects we have lost, the disgrace we have digested. 
while in wait to re-answer, his pettiness would bow under. For our losses, his exchequer is too poor. For the effusion of our blood, the muster of his king too faint a number. And for our disgrace, his own person kneeling at our feet, but a weak and worthless satisfaction. To this at defiance, and tell him for conclusion, he hath betrayed his followers, whose condemnation is pronounced. So far my king and master, so much my office. What is thy name? I know thy quality. Montjoy. Thou dost thy office fairly. Turn thee back, and tell thy king I do not seek him now, but could be willing to march on to Calais without impeachment, for to say the sooth, though tis no wisdom to confess so much unto an enemy of craft and vantage, my people are with sickness much enfeebled. My numbers lessened, and those few I have, almost no better than so many French, who when they were in health, I tell thee, Harold, I thought upon one pair of English legs did march three Frenchmen, yet forgive me, God, that I do brag thus, this your heir of France hath blown that vice in me, I must repent. Go therefore, tell thy master, here I am. My ransom is this frail and worthless trunk, my army but a weak and sickly guard. Yet God before tell him we will come on, though France himself and such another neighbor stand in our way, there's for thy labor, Montjoy. Go bid thy master well advise himself. If we may pass, we will. If we be hindered, we shall your tawny ground with your red blood discolor. And so, Montjoy, fare you well. The sum of all our answer is but this. We would not seek a battle as we are, nor as we are, we say, we will not shun it. So tell your master. I shall deliver so, thanks to your highness. I hope they will not come upon us now. We are in God's hand, brother, not in theirs. March to the bridge. It now draws toward night. Beyond the river we'll encamp ourselves, and on tomorrow bid them march away. Okay. So this is sort of like two scenes, isn't it? There's sort of this this first part with uh, Flewellen and Gower and Pistol. And the let us just have a moment for Bardolph. Poor, poor Bardolph. Oh my gosh. What a horrible thing. He didn't even die in the battle. He was hung. I mean, um, I guess this also goes to, to something we said before that Henry lets Bardolph die, but actually in this, it, as we were just reading, I realized that Flewellen is telling him Bardolph is already dead. There's no, he doesn't, Henry doesn't actually get to make a choice about in the matter. It is, um, it's already been done, apparently, uh, which is very sad because uh, Bardolph uh, is a character that we go, that we have had with us since Henry the Fourth, Part One. So this is, this is a character that appeared in three plays. So that must have been kind of a melancholy moment for, for the audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Julia, what are, what are your sort of thoughts about Flewellen in this scene and, and his interesting relationship with the king seems to have a very close relationship with the king. Yeah. I still don't know what he is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like I don't understand, but you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, so weird that he has this sort of, um, he does have this kind of like beautiful like naivety about the people who are around him that I feel like 
Hal has in a weird way. And I call mm. them Hal, which I think maybe is just saying that I'm 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 hearkening stuff back to, to Henry IV. Yeah. Which like you wouldn't you wouldn't ever really call Hal a naive character, but he does have this like I've always felt like he has like a strange hopefulness, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. that like the things that he says about the world around him. And then the things that he says that he hopes happen are seem so far apart. And I feel like yeah. Llewellyn kind of has that a little bit. And maybe like, I mean, it, it must be nice in the midst of like all this gore and like death and like so far from home. And like, it must be mm. nice to have somebody who like really believes in like the fraternal, like the, the brotherhood of, of the army, you know, and who believes yeah. that, you know, everyone is there to do a good thing and that nobody is like betraying everyone. And I mean, it, it shows you all the more that this is a play that cannot have Falstaff in it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You really, you really feel his absence in the beginning of this scene. You know, this would be a very different play if he was here. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't I, know what, yeah. what Flewellen is yet y'all. <laughs> <laughs> He's a strange creature. Really um is. And yeah, and it's interesting because we didn't really get to talk that much about Gower, the English captain, right? Um, but who he seems to be like on very good terms with Fluel and they seem to be buddies. Um, but also that he sort of recognizes Pistol for what Pistol is, which is essentially he talks big um, and he carries a big stick, but he very frequently does not use it at all and is very good about saying the right thing and sounding kind of fantastical. Um, and I, I, I was loving uh, the alliteration you were hitting there and the consonants you were hitting there, Zoe, with the, with the, with all of the, you know, fico for thy friendship and furious fortune and all that. Yeah, tell me about, tell me a little about Pistol. Um, well, I want to know what he did to be compared to Mark Antony. <laughs> I'd love to know what that's about. <laughs> it's clearly he, i think that i think it's pistol that he's talking about there yes right? yes he is yeah because it's very confusing how he's gone from like drunkenly singing songs to now fluellen's like this noble ancient man um <laughs> so that's fascinating to me i want to know like that sort of shift yeah um yeah i love the scene i love the i mean the bardolf stuff is so sad i also like that you get a sort of, um, I don't know, you see like what Pistol's willing to do for his friends, which I appreciate. Yeah. I, I, I take it in a, I guess it's, I'm reading it a little into it in a bit of a sentimental way, but I think it is a really like, you know, moving bit that he's sort of willing to put himself on the line to like save this guy's life. Um, Oh, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty I was just gonna like bounce with you a little bit it's pretty Mark Antony this you know it's like <laughs> that's that's Pistol's like friends Roman countryman which is barred off a soldier firm and good of heart you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true yeah there you go that's it well and yeah. also I think this is you know this is once again like he's he's now called the Duke of Exeter Ag Agamemnon and Pistol is Mark Antony and it's like to me, it's like, it's like Pistol tries so hard to like, I'm sorry, not Pistol, Flewellen tries mm. so hard to sort of put his life and this war in like such a huge context, like this in historical mm. context. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Andrew, I'm so sorry, I didn't see your hand there. Oh yeah, I was struck uh, hearing this by the um, the language about fortune and mm. uh, what we're in a way what we're talking about here is two people who we've come to know, Bardolph and Pistol, and one of them, and in the course of war and of battle, one of them has risen and one of them has fallen, fallen as far as you can fall, um, and and then right, so Bardolph is to be killed and pistol we, we know both of them and we know you know roughly they're you know on the same class of of guy uh, in some ways and and here we have pistol being compared to mark anthony and uh <laughs> so the lecture about fortune really hit me that um maybe there's something there in uh in juxtaposing that that seeming toss of the dice that led one of them to death and one of them to a little bit of um, elevation. Hmm, absolutely. And then, yeah, like I said, uh, I, I love this, the sort of closeness of the relationship between, we're going to hear uh, King Henry talk with a lot of um, affection about Flewellen. He, he's really quite fond of him, um, which he'll talk about quite a bit in, in Act 4. Um, and I he seems to have a very, they seem to have a very close relationship and we find out later that they're actually related somehow distantly um, as well. So it's, it's like family. It's like his, his fun, crazy Welsh cousin or something. Um, but then I also wanted to note that, that, that there just linguistically that the, the scene holds on to the beginning uh, when, even when we switch to Montjoy, the French Herald, right, coming in and giving this speech, which he does in prose, not in verse, which is really extraordinary. It's almost like we can't, we want to stay in the prose world for a little bit longer before we get to the verse. And I just, I thought that was really interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a different way of, of again, we, we've been talking uh, about communication, right? And speaking in prose is a different way of communicating than speaking in verse. Um, so I just wanted to, to sort of point that out and just ask um, Amy and Andrew sort of what 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 is going on for your characters and at the at the end of this scene or I guess the sort of second of this scene this this second scene <laughs> that's within this scene I don't know I, I I've seen in other editions other editors had Montjoy as the messenger at the beginning that was so uh, that delivered the tennis balls uh-huh uh, but the Montjoy here is delivering still cruel um, language, but but not as fierce. Yeah. Um, and and it's funny. I I just I just realized this. The last before Montjoy comes in, uh, Henry says, "For when levity and cruelty play for a kingdom, the gentler gamester is the soonest winner." Um, and Montjoy comes in and delivers this. And it's, you know, it's it's like he's, well, here I am the messenger, but don't kill the messenger. And I'm going to try to, you know, make this as nice as possible. But the France still hates you. Yeah. Um, and they're going to kill you. Uh, yeah. But I mean, uh, the ransom thing is kind of extraordinary. It's like you should yeah. um, ransom. And these are the things you need to keep in mind, you know, like yeah. our, your folly, um, it must proportion the losses we have borne, the subjects we've lost, the disgrace we've digested, and nothing but your death and utter destruction would bring that to us. So it's like, why yeah. on earth would he want to ransom himself? 
when like right it's it's like don't even think of ransoming you know well correct me if i'm wrong i thought that nobles when they were taken by the enemy were then ransomed back they weren't killed they yes. were ransomed back and that's the way to make money with but the, he's the caveat that they have to have they have to be like a knight or a noble right they would yes. just slaughter the people without noble names, oh yeah they right? have to be yeah. yeah at a higher level um but here the king is saying you guys don't have enough money yeah so it's like hi guess what we're we're gonna get you and we're gonna kill you yeah. and that's the end of the story um and it, it's interesting to me that Henry responds in the way that he does saying like, what's your name? You know? And like, yeah, you do your job very well, like well yeah. done. And like, it's just such a different tactic than we saw the last time we saw Henry. Right. You know, he doesn't try and like out macho this guy. He, he has a totally different tactic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Andrew, did you yeah, have any, it's... any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's always an interesting choice to make the messenger and Montjoy the same person. So you have this kind of uh, through track uh, where you get to see that that uh, relationship build, I guess. But um, but he really does have such a different energy. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, obviously Henry's the same guy, although he may have changed a little bit since the, the beginning of the play, but um, there must be something in Montjoy that makes him respond, as you say, in a very different way. Uh, I don't know what it is. I'm curious about that. I'm, I was curious about the length, the, um, you know me by my habit. And I assume right. that just means I'm wearing the clothes that a uh, the herald or a messenger might wear or yeah, something right. to denote what his job is there. Right, or um, the colors of France or- The blue fleur-de-lis. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely it's interesting. It's like to me, it's like we saw we saw the the cruelest language, the most violent imagery, and now we're seeing this different side of Henry. And we're gonna see this different side of Henry when he's finally alone for like the first time ever um in Act Four. Uh this sort of getting in touch more with his humanity and what his his thoughts are seems to be sort of the direction of the of the of the play to a certain extent um i would love to just go through this this our our last scene um can i can i say something before we go oh, into yes, please, three seven please. um i saw a production of henry five bare stage nothing on the stage at all um it was all costumes um and such the the English were in browns and grays. The French were very well-dressed, um, jewel tone colors, just opulence. And they were, um, their coats had tuxedo tails down the back, <laughs> but they were very, very long. They were very long. And for this scene, I remember this distinctly. They were lowered about they were lowered to about eight to 10 feet above the stage, each on their own trapeze. And they looked like peacocks. And they said all the lines above everybody else. Wow. And they continued from that point on, they continued to be above everybody else. And it was just striking. Um, oh, and it just God. hit home even harder that the French that the Dauphin and, and the people surrounding him had absolutely no concept 
um, and we're just we're above everybody else. It was striking. It was striking. Yeah, my God. So, so wow. the French contingent here. Imagine yourself giving your lines seated on a trapeze about eight to ten feet above the <laughs> above the stage, above the audience. So, and my subtitle for this the beginning of the scene at least is what are these people doing to their horses? That is uh, what I want to know, or maybe I don't want to know. Are we like in an equus situation here? What, what is happening? Yeah. So shall we go into the, uh, the scene I've entitled mistress horse? Um, this is uh, the, some of the, the French warriors on the eve of battle and just uh, they, they probably have about 30,000 soldiers I think um and the English have something like 5,000 so they are feeling pretty pretty confident <laughs> as we go into the scene cut I have the best armor of the world would it were day you have an excellent armor but let my horse have his due it is the best horse of Europe will it never be morning my Lord of Orléans and my Lord High Constable, you talk of horse and armor? You are as well provided of both as any prince in the world. What a long night is this. I will not change my horse with any that treads but on four pasterns. <laughs> he bounds from the earth as if his entrails were hares, le cheval volant, the pegasus, qui a les narines de feu. When I bestride him, I soar. I am a hawk. He trots the air. The earth sings when he touches it. The basest horn of his hoof is more musical than the pipe of Hermes. He is the color of nutmeg. And of the heat of the ginger, it is a beast for Perseus. He is pure air and fire, and the dull elements of earth and water never appear in him, but only in patient stillness while his rider mounts him. He is indeed a horse, and all other jades you may call beasts. Indeed, my lord, it is a most absolute and excellent horse. It is the prince of Palfreys. His neigh is like the bidding of a monarch and his countenance enforces homage. No more, cousin. Nay, the man hath no wit that cannot from the rising of the lark to the lodging of the lamb, very deserved praise on my pal palfrey. It is a theme as fluent as the sea. Turn the sands into eloquent tongues, and my horse is argument for them all. Tis a subject for a sovereign to reason, on, to reason on, and for a sovereign sovereign to ride on, and for the world, familiar to us and unknown, to lay apart their particular functions and wonder at him. I once writ a sonnet in his praise and begun thus, Wonder of Nature. I have heard a sonnet begin so to one's mistress. Then did they imitate that which I composed to my courser, for my horse is my mistress. Your mistress bears well. Me well, which is the prescript praise and perfection of a good and particular mistress. Nay, for me, Sonia, yesterday your mistress shrewdly shook your back. 
so perhaps did yours. Mine was not bridled. Oh, then be like she was old and gentle, and you rode like a curtain of Ireland, your French hose off, and in your straight strassers. You have good judgment in horsemanship. Be warned by me, then. They that ride so and ride not warily fall into foul bogs. I had rather have my horse to my mistress. I had as lief have my mistress a jade. I tell thee, constable, my mistress wears his own hair. I could make as true a boast as that if I had a sow to my mistress. Le chien est retourné à son propre uh, vomissement et la truie lavée au bourbier. Thou makest use of anything. Yet I do not use my horse for my mistress, or any such proverb so little kin to the purpose. My lord constable, the armor that I saw in your tent tonight, are those stars or suns upon it? Stars, my lord. Some of them will fall tomorrow, I hope. And yet my sky shall not want. That may be, for you bear a many superfluously, and twere more honor some were away. Even as your horse bears your praises, who would trot as well were some of your brag dismounted. Would I were able to load him with his dessert? Will it never be day? I will trot tomorrow a mile, and my way shall be paved with English faces. I will not say so, for fear I should be faced out of my way, but I would it were morning, for I would fain be about the ears of the English. Who will go to hazard with me for twenty prisoners? You must first go yourself to hazard ere you have them. Tis midnight. I'll go arm myself. The Dauphin longs for morning. He longs to eat the English. I think he will eat all he kills. By the white hand of my lady, he's a gallant prince. Swear by her foot that she may tread out the oath. He is simply the most active gentleman of France. Doing is activity, and he will still be doing. He never did harm that I heard of. Nor will do none tomorrow. He will keep that good name still. I know him to be valiant. I was told that by one that knows him better than you. What's he? Mary, he told me so himself, and he said he cared not who knew it. He needs not. It is no hidden virtue in him. By my faith, sir, but it is. Never anybody saw it but his lackey. Tis a hooded valor, and when it appears, it will bait. It will never said well. I will cap that proverb with, there is flattery in friendship. And I will take that up with, give the devil his due. Well placed. There stands your friend for the devil. Have at the very eye of that proverb with a box of the devil. You are the better at proverbs by how much a fool's Boat is soon shot. You have shot over. Tis not the first time you were overshot. My lord high constable, the English lie within 1,500 paces of your tents. Who hath measured the ground? Who hath measured? <laughs> Who hath measured? <laughs> Who hath measured the ground? The lord Grand Prix. <laughs> The Lord Grandpre. 
a valiant and most expert gentleman. Would it were day, alas, poor Harry of England. He longs not for the dawning as we do. What a wretched and peevish fellow is this King of England to mope with his fat-brained followers so far out of his knowledge. If the English had any apprehension, they would run away. That they lack. For if their heads had any intellectual armor, they could never wear such heavy headpieces. That island of England breeds very valiant creatures. Their mastiffs are of unmatchable courage. Foolish curs that run winking into the mouth of a Russian bear and have their heads crushed like rotten apples. You may as well say that's a valiant flea that dare eat his breakfast on the lip of a lion. Just, just, and the men do sympathize with the mastiffs in robustious and rough coming on, leaving their wits with their wives, and then give them great meals of beef and iron and steel. They will eat like wolves and fight like devils. Aye, but these English are shrewdly out of beef. Then shall we find tomorrow they have only stomachs to eat and none to fight. Now is it time to arm. Come, shall we about it? It is now two o'clock, but let me see. By ten, we shall have each a hundred Englishmen. I can't remember the last time I've laughed so, so very much. Um, <laughs> I I'm, actually... Have, have I ever, like, this scene ever? <laughs> is it always cut? Is the... I don't know if I knew this existed ever before. I love I, the fact that everyone's like, scene. yeah, yeah, we can cut the Fluellen scene and they get to this and they're like, actually, let's cut the, let's cut the horse fucking scene instead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just love that to me, there are just like so many barbs thrown at each other in this scene and like, like, I think it's such a great line when the constable says like, indeed, it is a most excellent horse like the antithesis the sort of implied antithesis being like you're the worst <laughs> like you know like I, I I think there's there's a lot of wit and I actually don't have difficulty with this prose as opposed to the Fluellen and uh earlier some of that prose but I actually don't have difficulty like understanding what's being said in this scene um sometimes what's being said is like particularly <laughs> disturbing um but yeah what were your what were your imp impressions reading it <laughs> i mean it's long too it's like long yeah. to the point that it's not funny and then funny again yeah <laughs> like <you forget laughs> it's like almost monty python like it gets to the point of not being funny and then like it's so ridiculous that you're laughing again later on. <laughs> but it's also like, do you need a scene this long to be like the French are cowardly horse fuckers? Like, we, <laughs> like we, I think we get it. <laughs> Got to get the people what they want to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel like this was like everyone really loved that line in Henry IV where he says, where Hotspur says that Roan shall be my throne, and then uh, Shakespeare was like, oh, you like that, huh? I'll give you a whole scene, baby. <laughs> there, um, there is also just, Colin, to go to actually one of your points, which I thought was so wonderful about like the queering of a character. 
there is a really interesting line here about my mistress wears his own hair, which his, like yes. really <laughs> jumped out at me. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, damn. Like it, I, that really, it, it, it was just very interesting to me, the sort of gendering of the mistress and how up in the air it was. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about that. My thoughts were that it did look, I did see that too. And I was like, I, mm, mm, what, what, what do you do with that? It definitely <laughs> sticks out and it never comes back again. I was like, is that an error or are we talking about the horse? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I do yeah. not know what to make of it. In general, this scene, uh, like before I tried to give as much respect as possible to the character <laughs> because it's me. And I want to get into that character and understand that what they're going through, their thoughts and all that. And at this point, I'm like, oh no, no, I've lost. Like, (laughs) he's just done. Like, I can no longer rationalize this as anything other than slapstick comedy. Like, nope, this is, this is, this is again, haha, French. Uh, It's, I, I like to think, what is interesting to me is that this is like the first time that we get to see like uh, the Dolphin, like, wild and unlocked like there's no daddy in the room right now like this is just him by himself and apparently that goes like straight to horse fucking and it's it's a choice it um, I like to think of it as um like the rich kid in high school parents are away and there's that like confidence of being in that house that is not your own and you have nothing to back it up you are a child but like you got that ego about you um, to risk an irrelevant reference, it gives me vibes of the tale of Sir Topaz. Um, it's the one tale in the Canterbury Tales that Chaucer gives himself, um, which just also has like a, a knight who's really into the drag of knighthood, all of the aesthetic that comes along with being a knight, but has like nothing to back it up at all. Um, in, in that poem, he ends up putting on too much armor and then like riding his horse to death. Um, but it just, it gives me that, that, that over obsession with um, everything other than your own personal ability to do anything. And it just all being put into like, ah, yes, the horse. So I, it, if I gave it, if, if I gave my character um, <laughs> undue kindness, I would say that he's not a horse fucker, but instead he's just really proud of the tools he has access to in the game of war. Um, Very nicely I do, that's Colin. a bad faith reading. That's just <laughs> me trying to defend myself. But uh, yeah, it's 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 quite a scene to read. Um, Ramber is just trying to change the subject. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. He literally comes in and he's like, hey, uh, your armor, it's cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, please, <laughs> no. Can we please not go there? Yeah. And it's and, like, Rose, who wants to capture some English prisoners? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the conversation has veered like so uncomfortably and it's like the constable and the dauphin orleans like just have to double down uh, like because if anyone stops the joke will fall on them right so it's like they've got to commit to it like a hundred and fifty percent but i i i definitely struggle to to understand what orleans um, relationship is to these two because I think if I'm not mis- 
mistaken. No, maybe I am mistaken. Um, I thought that Orléans was related to the Dauphin, which which may be true, may may not be true. But just like what, because he seems to defend the Dauphin when the Dauphin leaves and be very much like him versus Constable. But then while he's here, he's like, no more, cousin. Like just stop. <laughs> like while we're ahead. Um, so th there's like an interesting. I just like hearing you guys read it. I was like, I lost my shit like I just I was laughing so hard and I don't I've never had that experience seeing this scene or any version of this scene and I, I don't quite know why I found it so funny but it, it was like it was like painfully funny and I I do wonder if this is like our little breath before we go into even more serious war you know i love that that image uh amy of of the french up on trapezes like we fly above the earth there's all this like winged pegasus horse imagery along with the other stuff but it, it i it really just made me laugh a lot so I, thank you all for a good laugh it's very nice it, to start off the year with a good laugh <laughs> it reminds me of like just because it's so like just like commit to the bit just keep going <laughs> It really <laughs> reminds me, um, I, <laughs> I did my undergrad with some, there was a comedy major at my school. And let me tell you, um, <laughs> what a, what a, there's a certain type of person. <laughs> no, but it just feels like the freshman year, you put them all in one room and we're all trying to be funny and pop each other like all at once it's it's a lot it's kind of excruciating but it's also kind of fascinating and that's what this scene feels like to me uh, the um and again this might be uh approaching it in bad faith but uh the uh one kindness i think you can give to it is that um at least there's a like we have a, a obvious fool and it's not just like the French people as a whole are fools. Like we have a distinct one person is just like you as a person are a fool. And I think that I can read it in more kindness with that than some of the other scenes. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know where to go. Like, like I just like, there's there's things that I that we could talk about, but it's it's kind of like to me this scene is also I, I think it is worth saying to me this scene is very much about rhythm and like where do you earn your pauses and like where like if you were staging this, it would be really interesting, I think. Who's looking at whom when is what there a horse I on stage? Like what <laughs> yeah, is like, happening? Like I, I think like there's, the idea of like yeah. two people in a horse costume also on stage, <laughs> just like creeping away the whole time. <laughs> um but yeah i i just this it, it is hard to sort of not read this as just a pure comedy scene um and and actually izzy you you sort of sharing that with me reminds me of the, there was this hilarious snl sketch a while ago that was like the pill for like guys whose girlfriends are actresses right but then the end of that pill was like the medication for women who are dating comedians where she's like oh do you want to take a seat and he's like oh, i don't know about this stool sample you know and like it just like so over the top and like so excruciating and she's just like oh god you know and i do i do feel like we're we're kind of there we're at that level of like the audience is like oh my god just give me a break <laughs> at this point 
And, and, and it is, I think it does have to do with breath, right? Too. It's like, I forget who mentioned that, but thank you for whomever did that. Needing moments in intense plays that have to do with warfare or that have to do with death, you need moments for the audience to breathe and to catch their breath. And um, this seems like one of those to me before we go into this really mysterious epic chorus speech to describing this night. It's just crazy to me that like these two groups of people we've gotten to know are about to fight each other <laughs> because they both seem so bizarre in every way. It's like, you know, the drunkards and like ridiculous like accents and dialects fighting amongst themselves who are like the underdogs. And then you have the French who are like so out of touch. It's just, it's like, I don't know, like you're supposed to be rooting for the English because the French are so like caricatures of, you know, evil villains. I don't know, but it's just hilarious <laughs> to me. Like it would be so entertaining, all the buildup to this yeah. moment of battle between like these ridiculous enemies. And then you have Henry V who's sort of just like holding it all down somewhere like in the chaos, like you just don't know what's about to happen, really. <laughs> Even if you do, you just don't know. It does weirdly feel like two different plays have been knit together, you know? You're just sort of like, you could easily replace the scenes with like you're like this is in the same play as like once more into the breach and like the same Christmas day speech like that's insane you could easily replace those with like you know just like the, the Benny Hill theme and just like a bunch of people running around and you're like great this is a great play I love this play and you could like they feel so separate from each other but also like it is weirdly complimentary it's like you have to you have to have this in yeah. order to like have a conversation about like what cannons do to a human body, you know? Yeah. Like you have to have, like you have to have something else. You have to have a scene where people talk about fucking a horse and then intermission. <laughs> because if you have a scene where people talk, talk about like the fact that they're gonna like kill all the whip, like kill and rape all the women as like an, uh, you know, and then intermission, like, no, you can't do that. Come on, like, <laughs> so okay, so we throw in a horse fucking scene. Like, that's fine, you know? It's all about balance. Life is about balance. Um, Andrew, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to say it absolutely is about balance and it the play is of a piece. And also, I think this might be what happens when you lose your Falstaff, when Kemp <laughs> is off dancing to, I can never forget where he danced to, but you know, doing a Morris dance all the way down the road to Norwich or something, um, it, and you don't have Falstaff anymore, you're like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's get those guys who do the funny accents on, based on all the place, Wales and Ireland, and let's, let's get a French scene with the two ladies, and they don't know how to speak English, and they're not going to speak, they're going to talk about funny body parts, and oh, let's get a horse fucking scene, and oh, let's do all this stuff to try and replace Falstaff because mm. that's what it takes to, to fill up the space that he's left. That's really interesting. It's almost like we need a variety show, replace Falstaff. Exactly. <laughs> this is, that's what it is. That's what is, it is. This is such a silly reference, uh, but I, um, pretty... I just have a very silly reference and then I'll be quiet for the rest of the night. But there's that scene uh, in White Christmas, which I watched recently. And 
uh, there's that scene where he says uh, the the like retired general from the military says oh, to his house housekeeper, like I got along just fine in the army without you. And she says it took 1,500 men to take my place. Like this is how many <laughs> fools it takes to take Falstaff's place. <laughs> That's wonderful. I really enjoy that reference, by the way. That's a nice, really nice reference. Um, Esther, go ahead. Oh yeah, just thinking like, given that this is a play about men basically and war and it's, <clears throat> it's hard to get women into it in general. And then, you know, like you do need balance and you need a little of everything. And we've been talking about the violence of sexuality in, in the context of war. So you want something nice, something positive, something light. I think it's pretty creative of Shakespeare to bring in horses because <laughs> even if he had women to work with in this play, they would be acted by young men. <laughs> horses in your imagination is so much better. But I just think it was pretty creative of Shakespeare. There's, there's a lot of layers. Well, wonderful, everyone. Thank you so much for a, um, <laughs> a wonderful evening. <laughs> Oh, no, no, nothing else to say about horses. Oh, yes, please. (laughs) Is a brownie and a horse girl. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a lovely evening.